everyone, it's Brian with uh, Blockchain, and I'm doing something a little bit different. I'm adding a YouTube component, a video component. Sometimes it's a little bit easier than writing information. It's a little bit harder than doing a podcast, but I think it'll add some components of visuals, graphs, and other things that I can add over time. Um, and what something you've probably already know is that uh, I haven't been making any information lately because the crypto market has been pretty um, uninteresting, to be perfectly honest. It's been clear that a bubble had formed um, back in uh, late 2017, early 2018, uh, with Bitcoin going upwards of, or near, I should say, 20,000, and then coming down just recently somewhere around 3,000 ish. Yes, 3,700 or whatever it ended up being. So a huge drop, but that was kind of perceived. If you go back to my early um, podcasts in, say, early 2017, I was kind of uh, warning that, you know, this looked like a bubble, that it was probably going to pop, and that there was going to be a, a huge downdraft. I'm not particularly surprised by how far we've come down. Typically, during Bitcoin corrections, we see something on the order of 80% or so. And we're around that uh, mark at this point. You know, might go somewhere up to 90 um, some of the altcoins have seen 95 plus percent, and that's not uncommon at this point. So you've seen a huge correction across the board. And so what everyone's kind of probably wondering at this point um, is, you know, is crypto dead? And I made a podcast about that a while ago. And, you know, it wasn't dead at that point. It's still not dead at this point. It's come down quite a bit, but it's not dead. But with that said, you kind of have to reevaluate, you know, the situation and you have to constantly do that in crypto because it's constantly changing. You know, this whole industry may end up being this huge fad that, you know, was kind of uh, uh, similar to the dot-com bubble where you had URLs that were fetching billion-dollar, you know, valuations and you have similar sorts of forks of cryptos that had been demanding, you know, uh, billion-dollar valuations or market caps, I should say, including like Dogecoin and other things like that, Monacoin, ridiculous things that, you know, were either memes or um, just shit projects or things that never had any sort of development or any sort of real future. So you saw a lot of that. And whenever you see kind of this outlandish, outrageous kind of fear of missing out and then, you know, just ridiculous valuations, uh, you should start suspecting that we're in potentially a bubble. And the correction is probably going to be something similar to, you know, um, the upswing in the sense that it goes way up, it comes down, and typically it can come down oftentimes a lot quicker than it come, goes up, but, you know, it can vary. But bubbles popping, you've seen that in commodities such as, you know, silver several years back. You've seen that in, you know, dot-com bubble with stocks. You've seen that in the housing bubble in 2007, 2008. And so there's all these bubbles all the time, but I think the crypto bubble may be one of the biggest bubbles. I think it was more or less, I think people, I read somewhere that it was like the fourth largest bubble. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but it was a big one. And it's, you know, it's always kind of a big one with Bitcoin as it runs up. And what a lot of people are looking at is historically, you know, it comes down 80, 90% and they're like, oh, this is normal. This is normal for people who've been in it for a while. However, history doesn't always repeat itself. You know, it, the assumption is, is that it's going to have another run up at some point and it's going to go to 50,000 or 100,000. And so you still have these ardent, you know, kind of supporters that are um, just believing that it's just going to come back and go up. And it very well may, but it may very well take a long time or it may come to, uh, people may come to the realization that it's not actually that valuable. It's not going to be valued at 50000 or 100000 It's not going to replace the, you know, fiat uh, um, uh, currency system or the banking system. It's going to be a part of it, but it's going to be a small component of it, like some sort of currency that, you know, is uh, relevant to a small country or something to that effect. You know, who knows what it's going to end up being, but I do think it has legs. I do think it has value. And I think with the price coming down to where it is now, you know, it's more enticing to get back in, more interesting to evaluate whether there's an upside versus, you know, 
at 20,000, it looked like there was a lot of downside unless you planned on waiting a very long time and were expecting it to go, you know, to tens of thousands, 50,000, 100,000 plus. And, you know, there are a handful of people that say that, and that's fine. You know, people can speculate. But what I'm kind of interested more here is figuring out what's reality, um, what's going to be reality, why is that happening, and can we predict that or can we make good investment or good uh, financial decisions or good, you know, project participation decisions, whatever that may be. And so historically, I've kind of been interested in Bitcoin. I've been interested in EOS. You know, I've, I've been a little bit interested in Tezos, but I'm quite disappointed actually by any sort of progress seen there. There's still Cardano, Monero, these other ones, XLM uh, or Stellar. Uh, so those are all projects that are top tier projects, if you will, for the most part. And, you know, I've also had some interest in Horizon, which was previously called just Zencash. Um, but all those things are fluid. You know, all of them have come down quite a bit off their highs. Um, some of them, some of them are professionally run. Some of them have, you know, good theses on whether uh, there's a long-term viability for that project. Uh, with I, I think the most um, interesting application is as a currency, which is what Bitcoin did um, previously, or store of value, or whatever people want to call it. But Bitcoin is still king. Uh, it still has an interesting value proposition. Um, it still has use and use cases that are pretty fundamental and it's a first to market and it's a well-known brand and all these other things. I talk about this in my podcast, but there's these other smart contract platforms and application sort of platforms. So smart contracts call, you know, think Ethereum, think Ethereum classic, things of that na nature. And then think of things like uh, DAP sort of applications. And, and you could, you can build DAPs on those, you know, Ethereum and so forth, but I, I just don't think those are what people should call those. I, I think EOS is more tuned towards applications. And it's more suited towards towards that, but it also has a trade off of kind of uh, less decentralized in a way. People can argue back and forth whether Ethereum is decentralized or not. Um, but you know, EOS has you know twenty one block producers. Um, it has a beefy infrastructure requirement. You know, it has you know particular advantages in how. Uh, in its speed, I should say, but it has disadvantages in, you know, whether it's centralized, whether people are buying votes, the governance aspects, is there really the value proposition of de decentralization or the political aspects? Um, you know, that, that's, that's up for debate, but it's, it's pretty clear that the, the performance of EOS is robust. It's, it's, it can do a lot of transactions per second. You can actually build real applications on it, but um, what are the tokens for that for? You know, there's a lot of these uh, applications have tokens associated with them. You know, are they actually useful? Are they just virtual currencies? Are they like, um, you know, Warcraft sort of gold? Are they like, you know, V-Bucks for like Fortnite? Are they like gold in Red Dead Redemption or whatever the case may be? Is it just a digital currency that's being used within, you know, some game or within some uh, commerce system? And it's probably the case for most of those. That's usually how they're structured is that you have tokens and then they have some sort of applicability or utility within that project. But it still begs the question of, is it really necessary to have these applications on a blockchain, um, a quote-unquote decentralized blockchain like uh, EOS? Um, it's questionable. You know, is it is it an advantage? Why not just spin up an AWS server and just have uh, build your centralized application and treat your customers fairly and well and efficiently? And uh, then you don't need, you know, some of these aspects. But if there's legality or, you know, kind of this inter-global inter commerce that needs to be done, then maybe, you know, being on blockchain where you don't have some of the restrictions that you may have using a fiat currency or a fiat system or a centralized system, maybe that's better. And I, and I say this in a lot of my videos because that's, that's what's unclear at this point is, is the value proposition of decentralization and the politics that go along with that sufficient um, to entice people uh, 
broadly to use that system. So say, for example, with Twitter, um, there's a lot of been a lot of uproar about censorship or even Facebook is centri- censorship, you know, a big enough reason for people to in mass switch to a different blockchain based sort of, you know, social media platform. Um, is that, is that necessary in the U S maybe not so much, maybe in other countries, it is more so where there's more censorship, but how much is non, how, how, how much is freedom or non-censorship censorship? How much is that worth, you know, and, and how difficult is it to get to scale to where you have enough people using that system to where it has significant value. Keep in mind that out of the dot-com bust, there were certainly a lot of internet companies that failed. There were a lot of inter- internet companies that, uh, you know, grew and got huge, but there's really only a handful. And I should say, you know, I'm using the word handful pretty loosely, but uh, think of the ones that we know every day, you know, uh, say huge ones, say uh, Google's. Uh, or Alphabet, um, say Facebook or Twitter or Amazon. You know, there's only a handful, maybe Netflix too, where, you know, you took the dot-com implosion. And obviously some of these companies like Netflix came after that. But you took that implosion, how many gigantic, you know, uh, companies came out of that uh, uh, and built things on top of the internet that end up being mega, mega companies. And it's, you know, it's a pretty... A reasonable amount, but not a gigantic amount. It's not thousands like we see in you know um, coin market cap with all the different tokens and all these different things. They, they, you know, most of those projects are going to be worth zero. Um, probably ninety five percent of them are close to zero. And you know, if you got in high, you're probably never going to recover. You know well, what you put in for a lot of those. But it still begs the question of you know is there a need and a necessity for decentralized um, applications? And again, if so, what is the value of that? I don't think anybody really knows the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. But that's something that people need to, I think, keep thinking about um, and and to continuously reevaluate and to not get caught up in the speculation. And, you know, it's happened with just about everyone where they got caught up in the speculation, you know, and they, you know, wrote it up and down and, you know, over the top and over. And that happens the majority of the time. But the people who are being kind of wise about it and discerning about it, you know, you'll recognize when there's bubbles, you'll recognize that, you know, you need to enter and exit um, at particular times. And then they also recognize when there's a value and there's, there's, there's becoming more value, but it's unclear if it's still low enough, you know, across the market, say with Bitcoin or EOS or Ethereum or whatever the case may be. It's still very unclear if they're significantly overvalued or not, because they could very well be significantly overvalued still. Um, with uh, maybe Bitcoin, in my in my feeling, being the least overvalued at this point, or at least the um, has the most potential upside just because of its massive global awareness. So I think that's important for people to recognize is that uh, these different these different blockchains are going to have different um, ceilings on their upside. And where are we at in that spectrum at this point? Are they very low compared to that? Or are they very high compared to that? Or are they in the middle still at this point? And most of these projects before the huge run-up in 2017 were really worth just about nothing. So keep that in mind when you're kind of looking at this market where we are right now and where where we think the future you know, may end up um, with blockchain and Bitcoin and all these other currencies is I think personally um, that it'll end up into a very consolidated top 10, if you will, um, uh, cryptocurrencies that are you know well-known. Uh, reasonably well known, and that continue developing, you know, at a at a good pace, um, and that uh, end up being something that's worth a significant value. It could just be Bitcoin, 
you know, a lot of these other ones, you know, you have the Bitcoin maximalist and the, you know, it's possible that that's the only one that really survives. that has significant value and is something that's adopted globally. And, uh, you know, lightning say gets it put in place and people can transact uh, in that way, very, uh, with low fees and instantly. And it really just opens things up with applications on top of that. And maybe there's some aspects with, uh, um, some of the other smart contract systems that are being built on top of that, that are, that enable, you know, more uh, flexibility on the, on the smart contract platform. But, you know, I don't think it's ever going to be a real decentralized application sort of platform. That's not what it's trying to be. It's trying to be, a, you know, a store of value and trying to be a currency, uh, maybe a transfer of value system as well. So I think, I, I guess to kind of um, summarize is I don't think crypto's dead. I think it's coming back from a big bubble that it was in. Uh, I think we still might have some lower to go in Bitcoin. You know, we could see 2,500-ish, 2,000-ish. We could even see lower than that. You know, I'm not jumping in, you know, uh, full full bore at these prices. Um, are we going to see 20,000 anytime soon? I think it'll be a while. I think it could be a couple years, maybe three years or more. And you have to keep in mind that there's a lot of people who have a basis much higher than where they are now, and they're going to need to offload that at some point. Or when it moves up, they're going to offload that to just kind of cover their uh, losses that they had. And so, you know, it's debatable how long it will take to regain new highs in comparison to previous um, bubbles where, uh, you know, you didn't have so many people involved. You know, you didn't have so many people at a higher, at such a high price point. Uh, you know, it came down still 80, 90%, but how much money was being sloshed around and there was significantly lower. Now, if we have huge adoption, you have other reasons that people want to adopt crypto, then, you know, you can have this other upward driving force. But I don't see that in the next year or two. And a lot of people are talking about institutional money and things like that. I just don't think that's going to drive it to like 50,000 to 100,000. What I think is going to drive it to something like that, if that does occur, is really a generational mind, sh mind shift in what currency is and what people want currency to be. And if they want Bitcoin to be a part of that and the adoption of it um, by governments, and you know, even I think Ohio accepts Bitcoin now as a, a, a form to pay taxes. And so things like that over years and maybe decades is what grows it in value and it might not be a good investment compared to other asset classes you know the growth rate might not be um comparable to say some other asset class maybe some certain stocks or uh, certain other assets so that's what people are also comparing against with no you know kind of volatility anymore um or there's volatility now but as of you know several weeks ago or a couple months ago you know bitcoin was very flat not return anything. It's not a dividend paying sort of asset. It's not a cash flow sort of asset. And so you're just kind of looking at it and saying, you know, it's not going anywhere. It came down a lot. You know, maybe we have some, uh, we want to take that loss now and offset some other investments. And so there's a lot of things going on in that way that are, you know, aren't just about price, but are about, you know, people's portfolios, you know, some of these, uh, investment firms, some of these, uh, institutional folks. And, you know, you have to kind of look at, how that morphs and how that changes over time. And you still have to look at the adoption and awareness and all these other things. But again, we don't see people, you know, commonly going to Starbucks and using Bitcoin or, you know, whatever to purchase things. And that's a big key aspect for just fundamentals. The fundamentals for Bitcoin are really, you know, is the network secure? You know, are people using it? Are people aware of it? You know, can it be used to pay for goods of this, this, this and sort? And, you know, how do people perceive that? Do they perceive it as safe or unsafe or volatile or uh, non-volatile? Do they perceive it as a store of value? Do they 
perceive it as a currency. And so those things are social things and they're still evolving. So we're going to see how that evolves over the next year, over the next uh, years, decades, etc. And hopefully over the next several weeks and so forth, I can put out some more videos like this, kind of drilling down into different ecosystems. You know, I, I, I like evaluating uh, a lot of these assets, say for EOS tokens, Ethereum tokens, which have slowed down a lot as far as, you know, ICOs and, and new ones and, and kind of looking at them fundamentally and trying to decide if there is actually real value here or is if is this a fad? And for the most part, I think most of these ICOs have been, you know, a fad. You know, they haven't been um, things that have durable value, but someone will probably come up with, you know, the next killer app. And that's something that I'm interested in discovering and seeing. But so far, I haven't seen that yet. And part of it may be that, you know, things just aren't to scale yet. There's not awareness, enough awareness yet. But I think a big part of it, too, is is that most people are just, you know, reinventing the wheel. There's already these things out there that people are building you know, software or applications for on top of blockchain, they're already out there in centralized forms. And the question is, is, is it valuable enough to, to, uh, or is there enough value in a decentralized system to kind of move all those systems over to this other system? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I haven't seen it yet. So with that in mind, I'm also going to kind of expand, you know, this platform or, or blockchain to look at other, other asset classes outside of crypto, primarily crypto, but I'm also interested in, in other emerging technologies. I'm actually interested too in the uh, uh, current markets, you know, the uh, stock market, real estate markets. I think there's a lot of aspects um, of, uh, or a lot of indications of bubbles, not huge bubbles, nothing like the crypto bubbles, but I, I would say maybe overvalued assets. And I'm interested in, in looking at those, looking at how the U.S. Federal Reserve is tightening and kind of, uh, kind of, predicting, if you will, or at least discussing um, what my outlook is for, you know, those asset classes, like I said, stocks, emerging technologies, whether that's uh, new ventures, um, uh, venture capital investments, which I think oftentimes do a pretty shitty job at the allocating capital, um, but interesting nonetheless in, in indicating kind of where the direction of some technologies are. Um, and then there's, you know, real estate, which I think is overpriced in a lot of areas on, on the West Coast as well. And maybe how some of uh, some blockchain technologies can interact or intersect with those uh, other asset classes. But overall, uh, look look for that as well. Maybe some videos or some other things popping up that are a little broader than the crypto space uh, in general. So with that, um, you know, subscribe to this YouTube channel. Uh, it's new. This is the first video. Um, subscribe to uh, or follow us on Twitter. Uh, blockchain co and you know there'll probably be a few other things but periodically check the website it hasn't been updated in a while so i apologize for that um as far as new content but i hope to kind of do this you know on a more regular basis i continue to say that time continues to be fleeting so we'll see but i hope that uh, each of these videos provides a, at least a little bit of value and, and a, a little bit of new perspective for you so with that i'll see you next time